are you? It is good to be back. Does anyone remember me? Oh. I hope you hear those applause, Mike, wherever he went. You are in real danger. So it is thrilling every time I get to come back here, and I don't get to come back here nearly enough, but um, I am still traveling the globe and just goofing off and offending Christians everywhere I go. It's quite fun. Now, if you know, if you haven't seen me in a while, you might be trying to figure out if you know what's changed. So I have lost the equivalent of two uh, small humans in the last uh, year. I've, I've dropped 135 pounds. Yeah. Thank you. I know, ladies, I'm highly attractive, and I own it. When you lose 135 pounds, you're overly confident, because I do understand I still look like Adam Sandler or Jerry Seinfeld, basically any celebrity with a gigantic head. That's who I tend to resemble. But uh, when I really was losing the weight, it was kind of funny, because I was, I was pretty cocky about it, walking around, strutting my stuff, and you know, people would kind of just go, that guy, you're too overly confident with the way you look, actually. But I do dress much nicer now. Do you know, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. When I was here for those nine months, and, and you probably won't remember, but remember I would do those themed Sundays where we could all come dressed up as something? Like I had a Hawaiian one once, I had a redneck one once. I only did that because I was morbidly obese and I hated wearing uh, pants. So I would, you know, do anything and everything creatively to get out of having to dress up. But, but, I want you to know, once a redneck, always a redneck. That's right. You can dress up this pig, but I'm still a pig. So I got these Bucky socks this morning. Because it is literally my favorite store on earth. And I, I go, every time I pass one, I stop because I have to, and I was going around the one on the way from Houston to here, and uh, the first time I'd ever seen socks, I just want to look at them. Well, you know what's been fun, too, about how God has used me over the years here at Parkway is that there's always somebody new that was kind of on the highway, and, and the Holy Spirit prompted them to stop, and for some reason, many times, they haven't been to church for a long time. And um, I'm imagining there's someone like that here this morning. And, and today's message is of critical importance. Um, what I'm calling it is defiant joy. And when I say defiant joy, what I'm saying is that there is suffering going on in your life. There is suffering going on in my life. And we have to be defiantly joyful. Joy doesn't come because of circumstances. Joy isn't there because life is going well and your spouse is really loving and your kids are obedient and successful and off at, you know, basketball camps in Oklahoma State. That was oddly specific, wasn't it? I don't know where I got that idea, Dave. I, lo I love Dave. We still connect from time to time. And he makes me jealous because his kids are amazing. One kid's up here. My kids are losers. I'm kidding. Sorry, kids. This isn't streamed, right? No one could ever see this message. 
but I'm calling it Defiant Joy, and the passage, if you want to, you know, open your Bible app or turn a page in your Bible, that is our key passage this morning is 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19, right? That's 1 Peter 4, 12 through 19, and this is the NLT version that I'm reading from. All right, so let me go. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through, as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering. I got to say that one again. That's crazy. For the, instead, be very glad. That's crazy. Highlight that. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. If you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed for the glorious spirit of God clearly rests upon you. Now, this is a very important sentence coming up, okay? Because I got, and I'm going to pause on it after I read it. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. Okay? Underline that. If you are suffering because you're a knucklehead, there's no joy in that kind of suffering. Christ isn't going to be in that kind of suffering. So if you're suffering because you love to gossip and you don't keep to your word and you're lying and you're stealing, you're murdering, there was probably a lot of murdering going on, actually, when Peter wrote this. So if that's why you're suffering, there is no joy in that suffering because you're being an idiot. You're making poor decisions, and those poor decisions are negatively impacting your life and the people around you. And so part of the thing today, and especially when it starts coming to defiant joy, is stop making stupid decisions. I was once with a pastor a very well-known pastor, and I was driving around his city with him in his car, and he was melting down because life was hard, and he was under attack from everywhere, and, and he was just miserable, and he just complained for like an hour as we drove around the city, and I loved this man dearly, and finally, when he, he was like, so, Pastor Smalley, what do I do? And I just looked at him and said, you know, the, the Holy Spirit just gave me a word for you. And he got so excited that he pulled over. He's like, no, what? Wait, the Holy Spirit just gave you this word. I went, yeah, I just got this word. And it's the path to peace. Because he kept saying, I just want peace. I just want peace. If you're saying today, in the midst of your trial, I just want peace, Lord. I just want peace. And, 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 and so I looked at this pastor, and we're on the side of the road, and I go, the Holy Spirit just specifically told me your pathway to peace. He's like, well, come out with it, man. And I looked right in his eyes, and I'm sitting right next to him in his car, and I looked, and I went, stop making stupid choices. And he went, you are the only person I allow talk to me that way. Because that's the truth. So if you're suffering because you're making dumb choices, that's a you problem, okay? I'll continue. Nothing like a good shame in the morning. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. For the time has come for judgment. 
and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? So if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you. And why? And you're, you're, you're curious where defiant joy comes from and you're looking at me this morning because I know that you're hurting. I know that you're suffering. I know that the, the poop has hit the fan and you're miserable. Defiant joy comes because at the end here in 419, for he will never fail you. Not, hey, hopefully he'll be paying attention to your life, and if he's in the mood, God will rescue you. He will never fail you. Uh, Speaking of failure, I am an epic failure, and I don't say that lightly. And sometimes I fear that when, when you're up here and you're a pastor and you're giving a message that people assume we don't relate to the suffering and the trials that you're going through. And I assure you that we can more than relate. First, just being a pastor, we have to deal with you people. So that's suffering number one, like this guy got flip-flops on, your feet are dirty. Has he bathed in the last week? He has? He has it. Look, he's like, no. We're friends. It's okay. I can pick on him. Probably not friends anymore. (laughs) Oh, we are. Does that mean I'll still get my after-sermon hug? All right, good. During, who wants to see him hug me now? Anybody? Let's do this thing. Oh, that, that, was, that was nice. That was nice. Who are you again? You're a very handsome man. So, okay, so 1 Peter 4, first kind of important thing to understand about when, when Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through. And it shouldn't be like this strange, like, what? I can't believe something bad's happening. Peter is probably looking into the future, or it could be currently going on, the persecution of the Christians during the time of Nero. And when you want to talk about suffering, Nero was lighting his courtyards with burning Christians for the light. He would just put them up on stakes, and then he'd, Get the t- he would cover them, and he would use them as candles. And they would do it in such a way that they would stay alive long enough to suffer intensely. So when Peter is writing these words, y'all, this ain't little stuff that they're going through at the time. I think it really gives a deeper meaning to those words in 1 Peter 4. Because this was real suffering. But I want to highlight for you that your suffering is also real. I think sometimes the evil one tries to 
get us to dismiss our suffering or over-exaggerate it, right? But what I've learned in 24 years of ministry and in marriage ministry is that suffering is suffering is suffering. Like your hurt and your suffering and your trials are no greater or less than mine. And so I don't need to diminish yours. I don't need to demean yours, and you don't need to either. Suffering stinks, right? Those are the, that, that's the time, you know, when you're in the valley of the shadow of death. And it just, you, you, you're holding on to hope. So I'm in the middle of my own trial. And, and when, if someone asks, or if it's a close friend, I have kind of landed on the statement, and you may borrow this for yourselves, my hope through Christ is infinite and unwavering. So I have no lack of hope in Christ. My psychological hope, right, is at like 0.2%. But I have eternal hope because of Christ. And that's why, and Mike said it earlier, that's why it is so important to be an actual disciple of Christ. Because every single one of us is going to die one day. Right? And on our death, we have a very important meeting. Because Jesus has been chosen. Right? He's the judge. And so that's why you want, if you want joy in your life, if you want that joy in the midst of your suffering, which is totally possible. It is a real thing. This is not pop psychology. Because when you follow Christ as a legitimate disciple, then you get the power of the Holy Spirit. And when you get that gift of the Holy Spirit, and it's only for those who follow Christ. And if you want to know how to follow Christ, I want to make sure you hear me out loud. It ain't a prayer you uttered back at seven. That in, it, it's, you don't get the fire insurance because you prayed a prayer. Now, is it good to have a declaration of, Lord, I need you. Lord, I am broken. Lord, I, I need you, and I believe in you, and I believe in your words, and I believe you are who you said you are, and I believe that you came, you lived, you died, and you rose again. I want to follow you. Do you know what Jesus' love language is? Because if you're supposed to love him, We've learned from Gary Chapman, right, that there's five love languages. Does anyone know those? You guys seem very blank. Mike, you got to do a better job. I'm going to pick on him hard because I don't know where he is. Right, there's five love languages. I've actually argued with Chapman himself that there's actually six love languages, right, because there's what? Words of affirmation, acts of service, gifts, physical touch, and quality time. The sixth one is the love language of sarcasm. That would be my favorite one. I know it's yours too. And so Jesus' love language, if you want to be known by him, right, if you want on that day, if you want the security of eternity, which, by the way, is kind of one of the other ways that we're able to have defiant joy, because this world is, I know it's not as it's supposed to be, and it ain't my final destination. I can have joy in that. When I'm suffering, I know that, well, at least one day I get a die. And I've had a lot of opportunities, 10 actually now. You might think I'm kidding, but gentlemen, tonight you're going to want to come because you're going to learn what it means to be a real man, and I'm going to share some pretty epic stories just from my life um, 
on things that kind of show that I'm like a man's man, kind of like when I was, hey, I'm an, I was an NCAA Division I athlete. That's a big deal. Not a lot of people get to be that. Of course, it was in male cheerleading, but we don't want to go there. You're suffering, and the joy comes from following Christ. To follow Christ is to love Christ, so then what does it look like to love him? Which one of those five is Jesus' love language? Anyone want to take a guess? You can talk. It's all right. Acts of service. That's actually pretty good. And you're not saved. <laughs> Just kidding. I can kid because I'm not Jesus. So if I was Jesus and I said that, you should be very, very concerned. Actually, it's none of those. That would have been way too easy. Jesus' love language, how he knows that you genuinely believe in him and are following him is obedience to his commands. And so if you're wondering, well, geez, how many commands do I got to learn? Okay, he gave over 120 command statements, but there's most scholars would say there's about roughly 52 unique commands of Christ. And, and if you don't know what those are, that's where the joy comes from. Because obeying Christ and following his commands, his commands are not burdensome. They don't weigh you down. It's not, you know, turn this way and pray X amount of times and look, spin around and you got to stand on. It's none of that kind of stuff. All of it is what leads you to freedom in your life from your addictions and from your suffering and from your sin, actually. All of them. Commands like forgive, serve, lay down your life, have joy in your suffering. And when you're obedient to those kinds of commands, that's where the freedom comes from. That's where the defiant joy comes from. Amen. Thank you. I'm fired up. Secondly here, first Peter is talking about the judgment of God. And I, I hope you understand that the judgment of God is to fortify you, is to purify you. It is not to shame or condemn you. It's to make you more like him. You only get the benefit, right, of the judgment if you're following him, if you're obeying him. The testing of Hebrews 12, 6, for the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Because as you know, being a good parent, being a good husband and, and wife, okay, being a good uh, leader, Okay, it requires making difficult decisions, it requires boundaries, and it requires sometimes levying consequences on people we care about, but I don't care about you if I'm not willing to do what's right. Kids want to be disciplined because they feel loved when they're disciplined. And so how do you handle suffering? Well, you definitely shouldn't be surprised by it, Peter says. 
okay? So it always cracks me up when, when, when I'm working with somebody or counseling or mentoring or discipling somebody, and they're shocked that something has gone wrong in their life. Let me be clear, and Kim can back me up on this if I'm wrong theologically, but I think it says right there at the beginning in Genesis that this world, because of sin, is cursed. We're living in a cursed world. Ergo, bad things happen. People get fired that don't deserve it. People succeed who don't deserve it. Okay? Spouses betray. Parents betray. Okay? Bad stuff happens. So the last thing you should ever be about suffering, and if you're going to experience the joy in suffering, is you can't be surprised by it. Right? I'm going to share here in a couple of minutes the intimate details of my father's death. I always love that look. And something's going to happen because you're going you're gonna to want to laugh really hard and you're going to feel uncomfortable laughing at my dad's death. But trust me, you'll appreciate. My dad was obviously a big deal in my life and he passed, he graduated to heaven March 6, 2016. And for the next year or more, you know, I ministered with him. You know, I followed in his footsteps. Uh, ministry was really tough. But then, you know, with close friends and intimate friends, I would share kind of what happened when the, the night he died. He died on a Sunday evening. And it was so stinking funny. And people would just be rolling. And and it was we were in South Africa. It's 2017. He'd been he'd been you know, gone to heaven for uh, more than a year at this point, and we're in South Africa ministering, and my wife on a Sunday morning is going to be driven to the airport, and, and then I'm driving to preach, and I was going to stay in South Africa for like two or three more weeks preaching all over the country, and just casually as she's leaving, I'm like, see you later, hug and kiss. She goes, oh, hey, I think it's time to finally share your dad's death, you know, from stage, and I just went, wait, what? No. I don't know. People don't like talking about death. I have no problem with death. I've tried it so many different times. Seriously, as an infant, gone. Uh, drowned at four, drowned again at 18. Uh, pushed off the Empire State Building. That's a true story. I survived. <laughs> and so she's like, I think it's time to share your dad's story. I went, oh, I don't know. And so I went to the, you know, it's almost, a, it's like our home church in Johannesburg. And, um, you know, I'm there and I'm, and she, it totally freaked me out because I don't know. I mean, are people going to be able to receive this? And, and I'm sitting there and I'm really struggling. Should I do the sermon I prepared or should I do the thing my wife just threw out, you know, maybe through the power of the Holy Spirit? Who knows? It could have been indigestion. Sometimes you can't tell. And so I'm freaking out. And then my friend and the pastor of New Day, uh, had a former elder that was visiting whose father had just passed away the, that morning. And so they laid hands and prayed over. I'm like, okay, fine. And that sermon and sharing my father's story had the largest response for salvations that I have ever been a part of, ever. Over, I think it was like eight or nine Brand new Christians chose to follow Christ that day, that morning. One of them was a, a, a world champion boxer. And so 
it has continued to be used. But we're on, you know, you shouldn't be surprised because sometimes the suffering comes from the people we love the most, right? It can come from a spouse. It can come from a child. It can come from a pastor named Mike Hurt, people like that. And so I'm about to read a text because, you know, doing my dad's death story in South Africa is one thing because they're crazy. South Africans, it, it, it's my favorite place on earth because they don't have a lot of rules and they're insane, which is basically the two things I love most, no rules and insanity. And so here is an actual text because now I'm back in the States. It's later on in the summer. I'm driving to a Christian camp, uh, Hume Lake, where my father used to teach and he used to bring me as a kid. And it's just the whole thing is overwhelming and and I'm going to preach Sunday, and it's like going to be 800 people jammed to this gorgeous uh, chapel on this lake in the mountains. And I'm freaking out about sharing my dad's death into, in front of an American audience because we're like the most prude culture in all the world. Like we, just, we have so many hang-ups for real. You guys need to chill. I almost said something so bad. Wow. You are glad, trust me. So here's an actual text I sent to my wife because I was driving on Highway 99 outside of Visalia, California. So I'm driving on Highway 99 outside of Visalia earlier today thinking about what I wanted to preach on Sunday at Hume Lake. I thought about my dad's death story and how it impacted people in South Africa. I wondered if it would go over the same here in the U.S. Would people laugh or feel uncomfortable with that story? Then it hit me like a ton of bricks, exclamation point. My father would love nothing more than for me to use his life and death as a story to inspire and teach others. I haven't cried that hard for a long time. Almost had to pull over, truthfully. I mean, it was a dirty, sobbing thing. But the joy I felt about how my dad raised me to tell stories and to celebrate trials, what a gift. Now, <laughs> I'm such a weirdo. Now I'm crying again at the doghouse grill in Fresno, but wanted to share it with you. And I was. This is a really cool bar right outside of Fresno, the university. They have great food. And I just started to cry all over again. I can see, you know how the iPhone will send a read receipt? And my wife has that turned on. And so I sent it, and, I, and they, she was flying with my youngest at the time, was probably 15, um, fly, flying to Fresno. So I was just waiting for them to land, but they were in San Francisco. So I can see that she's read it. And sometimes you don't know what's going on with the other person, by the way. Sometimes your suffering is all made up in your head by your negative beliefs. Because I see the read receipt, and I'm like, oh, good. Her husband just shared how emotional and broken and that he's crying. She's going to call me because I just need, I just wanted to talk to her. And then like 10 minutes go by. I'm like, okay, getting a little awkward now. Like, well, maybe she's pooping or something. Who knows? And, and then it's like 15 minutes. I'm like, okay, now it's getting offensive. And then, you know, I put my phone down because I was getting stressed out. And now my feelings are getting hurt. Like, what wife? doesn't call her husband back after he says he's been sobbing. My phone rings, and I went, oh, finally, and I pick it up, and it has a big old picture of my 15-year-old. I'm like, oh, that's funny. David's calling. And I swipe. I'm like, 
hey, buddy, what's going on? He goes, I don't know. Mom said she got some long text from you and that you probably need somebody to talk to. <laughs> oh, yeah, gentlemen, that's the kind of leader you're going to get tonight. <laughs> now, it turned out she was freaking out trying to get and make the connection and was running around, and, and it wasn't the right time for her. She didn't couldn't do it, but she at least was loving enough to have my 15-year-old give me a shout. I don't know, Dad. Mom said she got some long text, and you probably needed to talk to someone. That is so classic, my son. If you want that kind of defiant joy, if you want the kind of joy that can come when you're, take, when you're taking care of your father through home hospice, and you spend the last 18 months living with him, as he slowly just withers away and dies, that kind of joy is only from following Christ and being an actual disciple, right? When, you, when your father is going to go and you know it's happening and your siblings are with you and their kids are there and my kids and, and we're all there and we're just waiting for him to graduate to heaven, okay, if you want joy in those moments, that kind of joy can only come from a relationship with Jesus Christ because we get the fruit of the Spirit, right? People will know that you love him by how you respond to the suffering. That's the only way we can have a clue that you actually are following and are a disciple of Christ is your attitude behavior and choices during suffering because everybody can get it right when it's going easy and you just won the lottery but when your dad is dying and I'm outside cooking you know grilling and he's like right over there and my wife's sitting in there with him and holding his hand and and all of a sudden I see her jump up and I'm like oh crud it's you know it's about to happen and so she opens the door and goes hey everybody it's about to happen you probably want to come in and so we all pile in, and she's sitting there on his right side holding his hand, and I kind of nest up to her, and then my sister's on the other side holding his hand, and my brother gets next to her, and my mom is standing at his head, just kind of rubbing his head, and no one knows what to do because this is awkward. We've never gone through this. Anyone here ever cared for someone through home hospice? It is amazing, and it is awkward. It is awkward to have the conversation. I'll never forget when the day that I brought up home hospice to my dad, was the day he chose to start home hospice. It was so awkward, because I was like, Dad, you might want to start thinking about hospice, because then you get off all your meds, and they keep you comfortable, and it's like the greatest industry in the world, and then you get to graduate to heaven peacefully, and at home, with friends and family around you. But my dad didn't understand what hospice meant, and when I brought up, he's like, I'm in. I want to go on hospice. I'm ready to go. I'm like, well, Dad, you don't have to decide today. He goes, nope, get him on the phone. Uh, okay, don't you want to talk to Mom? Why? And I go, why? Because you've written literally 62 books on marriage, and this feels like a conversation you should have with your wife of over 50 years. I'm just saying, he's like, my body, my choice. <laughs> I was like, really? Now we're going to hashtag this moment? And he's like, get him on the phone. I'm like, ah! I can't. I'm very compliant. So I'm like, fine. Next thing I know, they're like, yeah, we can be over in an hour. I went, oh. My wife didn't even know yet. She's nowhere near as comfortable with death as I am. 
So I'm like, now I gotta tell her. But before I do, my dad goes, hey, wait, before you go, when they get here, they'll, they'll give me the shot, right? I went, no, I told you, no more needles. They'll give you morphine liquid, you know, I'll, and I'll probably administer it, so I'll give a little for you and a little for me. I'm like, we'll have a morphine party on the way out. And he's like, you were the weirdest son. And I'm like, yes, I am. You raised me. And he goes, no, 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 the shot. And I go, what shot? He goes, the shot shot. I go, the shot. Do you think that hospice is going to euthanize you and put you down? Yes, euthanize. That's the word. I went, hold on. Did you just agree to be put to death in an hour? And he's smiling and goes, hallelujah, I am out of here. I went, wow, and I hugged him. I went, you are ready to go. I was like, good Lord. And so now the moment is happening, and, and everyone's, you know, we're just all around his little hospital bed, right? And we're all packed in. There's grandkids as young as like five or six. And I looked at one of them like, I don't know if this is right. Like, I have a Ph.D. and all, but is this going to mess this little thing up? And so it was really quiet, and I started praying over him, just real soft and just thanking the Lord for him and just how he loved us and his family, which is, by the way, why you want to follow Christ, because that day is coming for you, and I promise you're not going to be hoping you could have another contract to sign, another dollar to earn. You're going to want the people that you care about the most to be with you, and you're going to want to be in harmony with those people. That's the true legacy of my father, is that when it came for him to graduate to heaven, he had everybody that mattered all around him, praying with him, holding him, hugging him, all the way into the final moment. And so I started praying. My wife, and if you remember her from May, she is a passionate woman, spirited, some might say. She snaps like 18 months of caring for this man. They had become best friends. She snaps, and she starts doing this scream sob thing. I mean, and it was like, Lord, here. Ah! And I went, I mean, literally, I went, wow. And I just looked at her, and she was hysterical. And she's like, snot is flowing like a river from her nose. My hand was in her lap, and it is literally being covered in tears and snot. And at my dad's death, I'm thinking, what's protocol? Like, am I allowed to move it and be like, ew, like, can you kindly stop snotting all over me? I mean, she is just weeping like a woman at the wailing wall. I mean, it was crazy. And I'm like, why is this happening? I look over my dad, dying dad's body, and my brother gives me the brother like, hmm? What's going on? I'm like, I don't know. And I mean, it was really kind of creepy. And, and, and my family just doesn't quite show emotions quite like that. And none of us knew what to do. And then my sister snapped. She has a total psychotic break. She, with my wife scream crying, my sister, looking at my dad with her eyes closed, starts chanting. And this will haunt me till the day I die. Daddy, 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 daddy. Daddy, daddy. I mean, it was like almost rhythmic, but it was so creepy sounding that I'm like, what? And my brother and I 
look at each other. And there's this little smirk he does, because our love language is sarcasm, and it's really sick, dark kind of humor, if you can't tell. And he does this smirk that I know means he has just come up with something so diabolically inappropriate that it's hilarious. And he does this little snort because he's like, ah, daddy, ah. And, and we're like, this is not happening. And he goes, smirks. I went, pa, oh. And I'm like, I don't think protocol is to laugh while your dad is dying. And it hit me. And then when I went, pa, I went, oh, God, you can't start. And then, you know, when you know, you, you cannot laugh at funerals, right, and various things. And I lose it. And I am I am laughing out of control. I'm going, and I'm trying not to, so I'm being resistant. So it's coming out like, and then I'm like, dude, you got to cover this up better. And so then I stood up and was leaning over my father with my wife screaming, my sister chanting. I'm like, then the hospice nurse puts her hand on my back to console me. It's okay, let it out, just let it out. I'm like, oh, you got to stop touching, this is hysterical. I'm like, sweat is pouring, my brother's face is beet red because he's not laughing, but it's all inside of him. And it was total chaos, and then it got weirder. Because then my mother, and I'm not going to judge you wives for how you grieve the death of your husband. And so if you want to sing while he dies... <laughs> Okay, fine. I will judge what you sing. Because my mother, and you can all follow along with me, started singing a song because when I was an infant, I had died. And the surgeon didn't think I'd make it through the surgery. And the Lord gave her this song that I heard every day of my life from 1, one to 18. And as my father's dying, my sister is chanting and my wife is scream crying. My mother breaks out into, this is the day, this is the day that the Lord has made, that the Lord has made. Wait, here it comes. I will what? I will rejoice and be glad in it. She's not just singing. She turns into a Pentecostal. And she's like, this is it. And I will rejoice. And I will be glad. She is fist pumping a happy song. As my father dies, and I mean, my wife stopped scream crying, my sister stopped chanting, I stopped laughing, and I mean, everybody just went, huh? We were shocked, like, what is going on? And then he died. That was it. And the worst part is, the week before, my father had confronted my mom and said, you've got to stop singing that song every morning. And I think out of defiance, she was like, how about this? Can't control me, sucker. And so the song, she went through the whole thing. She finally ends, and I'm like, well, this is insane. And the only thing I can think, because his heart had stopped, my hand had been on his chest, he was gone. And that happens fast, man. He was like, went with color and live look to dead, gray, cold, no heartbeat, nothing. I start praying again. And I mean a minute passes. 
And if any of you know about death, you can be deader than a doornail, but that freaking little cerebral cortex thing can fire off. And you can do some creepy things. Like people will sit up and like look around and they're dead. And I'm very skittish. <laughs> I'm very skittish because of my brother. And gentlemen, I'm going to share tonight why the, the ways he tortured me to cause a grown man who can't sleep with the lights off. Yeah, you'll hear all about that tonight. I'm praying, my hands on his chest, it's been a minute, and my dad lying like this, the cerebral cortex fires off, and he goes, ah! He literally hit me and just goes, ah! I go, wow, like a cat. I'm like, wow! And at my father's bedside, who had just graduated to heaven as a pastor, I have one word. It's like Tourette's. That if you really scare me, it doesn't matter. Like if someone snuck up behind me and scared me right now, I'm saying this word. And I won't use it. I'll give you a similar one. You'll figure it out. But I go, holy ship. And at that, my brother goes, ah. And he just, he, I mean, my nephew, who was 22 years old, passed out, full born, bam. When my dad came back, he just goes, I cuss, kids are scattered, the little five-year-old is going, is Poppy a zombie? My sister's like, no, honey, that was just his cerebral, and my brother just, just falls to the floor in hysterical laughter and joy, so, yeah, you cussed at dad's death, I will never let you, and then total chaos ensues. We started remembering we started having joy, even though in that room, our dad is right there dead and gone to heaven. We had joy, like overwhelming joy in that room. It was a little weird. At one point, my sister is doing this, taking a selfie with my father. I'm like, oh, that's not okay. She's like, don't you judge me. And I'm like, well, all right, tag me. It was so out of control, I actually took the hospice nurse into the kitchen and went, I'm not sure how this is supposed to go, but I'm thinking that was a little weird. She's like, this is a unique one. And I go, I just want to make sure that you know the joy and the laughter comes from Christ, and I don't know where you are, and if you believe, she's like, I'm a lifetime believer. I go, but that was not disrespectful. That's just joy that comes from Christ and remembering my father, and he would love that he scared me. I, I still think my, my dad was up in heaven, peering over, Peter, come on. Yep, Jesus, you're going to love this. I know you already know. Just come anyways. And I guarantee he was like looking over, all right, and five, four, ha, I knew I could get him to cuss. I told you. Maybe. But she says, I go, I just want to apologize if we've offended you. And she goes, don't you dare apologize. She goes, I've been a hospice nurse for 25 years. This is the best death I have ever been to. <laughs> I went, thank you? I don't know how to take that. 
if you want the joy, where does it come from? Christ. And you can, as a believer, there should be no fear of death because this world, is, this life is nothing. You want to make a choice today that will bring you into eternity and most importantly, eternity with him. So we're about to be able to have a response and I just want to encourage you, okay, that you need to respond today. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, you need to. You, you desperately need to choose this morning to start following him. And if you think that you've been following him, but your actions and attitude and behavior haven't revealed it, then you need to get on board too today. And if you're hurting and suffering, we want to pray with you. We want to encourage you. That's the point of this family here. Sunday isn't the point. The point is you. And Jesus will use us to encourage you as well. Lord, thank you just for the legacy you left with my father. Lord, thank you for dying on the cross. God, for loving me as inept as I am, Lord, that you have loved me and you've, you have used me. Um, but all the glory goes to you. I just ask in the name of Jesus that you remove any, any blocks, any spirit that is binding them up, that in the name of Jesus it is rejected and not welcomed here, Lord, because I want Parkway to be a light in this community by how they love the people sitting next to them and the people in Victoria. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.